Welcome to another episode of the Bakari Sellers Podcast. Today, we actually have a very, very interesting episode. We like to bring our listeners uh, some brilliant folk, and today is someone else brilliant in that same line of thought and reasoning, but none other than Doug Melville. How are you today? I'm great. I'm feeling good and energized. Happy to be here with you and your listener. You look uh, good, man. You're like you just been minding your business and drinking your water, man. You look good. (laughs) It's very important. (laughs) Look, my my show is unique in that we start each one of our shows off with the same question, and we like to have our guests walk us through the arc of their careers. So talk talk to us both about your corporate career and how you come to a point where you're now juggling a senior executive role and writing a book about your family's history. Yeah. So um, the first 10 years of my career out of college, uh, I worked with entertainers uh, to help them create their passion projects. So mm-hmm. more of a marketing background, licensing, branding, name recognition, spinoffs, d- different seats of the same table of how entertainers and people of note can control their name and likeness and leverage that to create different monetary opportunities or support existing monetary opportunities that weren't their primary form of revenue. Wow. How do you define a passion project? I mean, what did talk to me about that? I mean, when when somebody says it, what does that mean? Well, I think, you know, at the time, because things have changed a little bit because the influx of the internet, Instagram, mobile platforms, but at the time it was around perfumes, clothing lines, books sometimes, Mm. speaking engagements. So it was different ways that uh, they could take those products. Some ideas you come up with work, some ideas you come up with don't, but always a team effort. (laughs) And uh, that was how I got, that's how I got started uh, more on the business plan writing, marketing plan writing and executing. Oh, wow. I mean, that that's essential, especially as we see, you know, oftentimes we see the the troubling stories and the loss. We we don't always see the success and how individuals transform their their families into wealth. And you played an important role in making that happen for a number of individuals. Um, talk about Invisible Generals. What is it about? And talk to us about the point where you knew this was a story you had to write. And and why did you choose to write it now? And you know, it's it's it actually is a continuation of that great first question you asked um, because that was my career at the time. And in 2011, I was invited to a screening of the movie Red Tails. Mm-hmm. Tails came out at the top of 2012, but they had different screenings in 2011. And I was invited to a primary screening with the actors, the Tuskegee Airmen, producers, directors, the whole thing. And at that movie, uh, I was expecting to see the head of the Tuskegee of the Red Tails in the movie, uh, which was played by Terrence Howard. And uh, when he came on the camera and he was introduced, I was expecting to see Colonel Benjamin O. Davis Jr. So he was the patriarch of our family. And it was important that I got to see him in his full glory because this was going to be a blockbuster movie. And when he entered the screen, he looked exactly like him. Terrence Howard looked just like him. But when he was introduced, he was introduced as Colonel Bullard. And that was uh turning point for me in many ways. I think the first way was looking around the theater, wondering if anybody knew that the name was changed. Second of all, that spurred me to talk to my dad about why that was so upsetting to me. And he shared with me 
if you think changing the name is bad, why don't I sit down and tell you the family story of the invisible generals? And then he shared with me how he was raised by Benjamin O. Davis Jr., how Ben Jr.'s dad and him were disciplinarians, what they went through, how the family had been kept invisible. And this spurred to me two actions. Number one is I want to get to the bottom of my family story because he ended the conversation with, don't worry about it. What are you going to do about it? Mm -hmm. And the second part was I switched my career at that time uh, to become a chief diversity officer. So I wanted to ensure that in corporate environments, people that were invisible were now going to have the opportunity to have an ally to make sure that their accomplishments were logged, tagged, and made visible. And second of all, I wanted to take the information that my dad gave me about the family and begin the process of seeking out and understanding the story of my family. And also with that, they came together, understanding when movies compensate people, when movies don't, when family names are included. So in many ways, both of my worlds came together in my passion and in my professional life. There's a, I mean, that's a, that's a very layered answer. And, and watching a movie to spur on, you know, I, I think Red Tails may have done its job, even though indirectly, I guess they didn't necessarily do um, their job. But why? What, what makes these individuals invisible? And, and why were they treated as such? Yeah. So I think I'm, I'm, I'm always happy that Red Tails came out because I think you are right, uh, Bakari. It did do its job. It was to build awareness for the story make it mainstream, it's rerun all the time. If it wasn't for the Red Tails movie, you may not even know the story. So my, my journey was a continuation. So as it relates to the Invisible Generals, that was the name my dad used to describe them and the title of the book based on the fact that when Benjamin O. Davis Jr. entered West Point in 1932, he was the only black cadet and on his second day after being assigned a room at the end of a hallway with no roommate that was a converted room he hears that the cadets and others had gathered in the sinks to have a meeting and the sinks is the place in west point where people gather everybody was there except for him and they told all the cadets we've accidentally allowed a black into west point we are to treat him as if he's invisible until he drops out. And they implemented a practice at the time called silencing. So what it was, was there was no interaction with him on campus mm. for four years, 50 weeks a year. You had to ask to sit at tables. Because that's part of the protocol. He would go around to each table at lunch and no one would give him permission to sit. So he had to eat standing up. He went on a segregated bus to the Army-Navy game at Yankee Stadium. He was not communicated with through study groups, study pals. There was even classes that he failed that require a partner. Because they told him that he was invisible. So that was the impetus of understanding the power of treating someone as if they don't exist. But the celebration is how they use that him and his dad as a superpower yeah. versus something that held them back. So 
even though he was treated as if he was invisible, he still graduated in 1936 at the top third of his class. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the, the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it. You can work out in it. You can go outside. You can go shopping down in your local wherever. And you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. You know, I feel like I feel like there's a generation of black veterans who whose lives and stories we missed um, and we lose that every day. I, I don't know if you just saw this article, like it, it's kind of breaking as we um, are having this discussion. But the U.S. Army overturned the convictions of 110 black soldiers from the 24th Infantry Regiment based on a race riot in Houston in 1917. Um, I did not uh, know that. Did, okay, it, I did not it know. Just, that. It just it literally just happened, and of those um, 110 who were convicted, 19 were executed. Um, but it wow. goes, yeah, it goes to that to that point. Like, um, how do you think we do a better job of this? Because I think Black veterans have some really unique perspectives and stories on things like patriotism and race, um, and. They know who this country truly is because they had the audacity to go and fight. How do we better capture what they live through? Well, I think you hit it right there is that the black veterans in the United States and America have some of the most detailed, tracked, observed stories in American history with a constant living in liminal space. So between two realities of race. Right. I think the first thing that we need to do is encourage more people to speak. Because many times it's the silent generation or it's you don't talk about it because a lot of military men are very private and there's a lot of things held close to the chest. So I think actually the biggest thing that we can do is continue to encourage and find avenues and areas for people to feel comfortable discussing this. So I think many times it falls on family, whether it's um, by default or design. And that's why it's important that families own their own story, uh, learn their own story. I think the second thing is we must get these individuals to write it down. Yeah. If you, um, what I learned during this process of writing, writing this book, Bakari, was if you don't write down your own story and a journalist calls your home, the journalist 
because they are writing the story, own the copyright because public servicemen and women's stories are in the public domain due to their career. Mm-hmm. This to me was a major breaking point because that's the next thing that we can do is ensure that we at least take control of our stories as veteran families. And I think the third thing is community. We need to get people together in numbers and not let them feel like they are alone and maybe work with VFWs or the VA or institutions where people build community to have support for these topics. For people who may not understand, can you talk about the role that integrating the military played in the broader plan to integrate the country and how that was kind of the the jumping off point? Yes, um, the the military was integrated 75 years ago this year in 2023, and it was integrated um, by President Truman. But the impetus for the integration was, in fact, the performance of the Invisible Generals, Benjamin O. Davis Sr. and Benjamin O. Davis Jr. Ben Sr. had been in the military 50 years. Uh, From 1901, when he became an officer, he was an enlisted man prior to that. And he was America's first black general. He was brought on by FDR um, because FDR wanted to win the black vote. And he asked Ben Sr., how he could do that. And he said, show that the military is an equal opportunity employer. And at the time, this was radical. You know, it was the largest company and employer in the United States of America. We're leading up to World War II. It was it was radical to believe that equal pay and equal opportunity would be for blacks and whites. So when the Tuskegee Airmen were started, when Ben Sr. was brought on as an advisor to FDR and he says, you have to allow blacks to fly, FDR's response was, well, who would lead that? He said, my son, Ben Jr., who had graduated from West Point, then goes down to Tuskegee. And that becomes the creation of the Tuskegee Airmen, 15,000 men and women in a 100% segregated Air Force. They perform outstanding. But the inefficiency of segregation was what overturned it because the policy of the military was if you had a part on a white pilot's plane, it was illegal to use that part on a black pilot's plane. If you had a wrench used on a white pilot's plane, you could not use that wrench on a black pilot's plane. This is during World War II. I mean, this is this is I don't think we really understand how. This is mind blowing. I mean, I get the chills when I tell it. Can you imagine you and me are fighting and I am standing next to you? We have the same equipment and you cannot give it to me. So when they came back and the performance was superior, if not equal, depending what historian you read. They said integration was inefficient. And then Ben Sr. worked with Truman to write the desegregation bill, executive order 9981. And also there was another executive order that allowed women equal pay and opportunity in the military. And Ben Davis Sr. was then asked to retire less than one week before the bill was announced. So his name did not appear on it, even though the words and the input were that of the invisible generals and Truman removed well, he didn't remove their name when he announced it. It was it was his bill. So 
I think integration actually had, an, uh, it was good for the men at the time, but what ended up happening on Bokhari was there was almost a term I like to use, the gerrymandering of, of, of history. They take one person and they would put them in undesirable situations. So they lost that sense of community. So at the time, many people felt integrating was worse. Yeah. You could talk to families of Tuskegee Airmen, black veterans. Many thought it was worse because they didn't have the community and the collective team and camaraderie. Many thought it was great. But then this began the debate of did people step back at that time or what needed to happen for the civil rights movement to happen in the 60s, which is 15 years past this because of some of the inconsistent messages that were being portrayed in the military. Let me ask you this question, because a lot of people are going to want to probably do this after listening to this episode. But can you talk us through how you pieced together your family story and how long it took you to do this work? And just me being nosy, but how did your family respond to this book, given that it required telling some really difficult stories? So uh, the whole process took 10 years. But, you know, let's be realistic. It started very slowly. And it actually started in 2012 with just setting Google alerts. So I think if there was one thing anybody could do as a little homework assignment, I need you to take everyone that you know in your family name and set up a Google alert to see if any writings, any scanned from museums, anything, any chatter is happening on the internet wire to be aware of. And then that allows you to, the moment to email somebody and get the information to them that you exist and you would want to work with them or, you know, maybe you don't want to work with them, et cetera. So that was the first step. And the second half of the book I have uh, is called How to Be a Visible General, where I kind of walk through some of these steps so the reader can, can actually have a guide. But after the Google alert, uh, then it was talking to family members, going and that was really my dad who was there firsthand for many, many of the stories, uh, conversations my dad had with Ben, my own conversation, my family's conversations with him to piece together the, the things that were very relevant. Then after that, it was uh, Smithsonian, Army War College. They have in incredible volumes. Then you have military um, colleges, so West Point Academy their historian, Air Force Academy, their historian. So once you get started, you can find that one thing will lead to another. And then when we started getting farther down the road, then we started getting emails in. Uh -huh. Did you know, you know, we, we got an email the other day. Did you know Benjamin O. Davis helped create the Flying Thunderbirds? You know, we got a message from Taiwan a few months ago, and, and we I wish there was more time that put it in more detail in the book, but there's a line that separates Taiwan from mainland China. There's an aquatic line mm -hmm. in the Taiwan Strait. In Taiwan, that's called the Davis line because it was drawn by General Benjamin O. Davis Jr. During the conflict of China where Shanghai Shank went to Taiwan, Ben was sent over there as the highest ranking U.S. official and they needed to secure some area or border of the two parties. It went, he flew over it with the plane, identified the longitude and latitude, gave it to the White House, went to the UN. That's the line they use today. So these are things that I was learning, Bakari, from people emailing me. 
My dad was in a book. He was a judge. He helped free uh, some of the Black Panthers in an unwarranted lawsuit in Connecticut. Someone sent me a picture of the book and the, and the text. And when I showed my dad, and this was a big part of it, he didn't understand what the big deal was. All he kept saying was, what is the big deal with this story? I did this so you wouldn't have to deal with the story. I don't know why you want to go back to the story. My dad's one piece of advice to me is if you ever want to end your career, talk about race. Told by a true, you know, 90-year-old man today, if you want to torpedo your whole everything, just walk in the room, Doug, and say race, and don't you worry. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the, the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it you can work out in it. You can go outside. You can go shopping down in your local wherever. And you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Let me ask you this question. This is a dumb question, but why did Benjamin Davis Jr. endure what it took to be a general after seeing what his father went through? Well, Ben Davis Jr. ultimately wanted to fly airplanes. And that was his real dream. And, you know, we always talk about the aviator being uh, Howard Hughes. But if you ask me, because of the segregation, Ben Jr. had to know how to fix the planes, build the planes, fly the plane, you know, everything he had to know at that level. And when aviation began, it was 100% segregated. And there was a, a bill 
called the, um, not a bill, but a, a letter, the U.S. Army War College report on the inferiority of Negroes. And this prevented the private sector from allowing blacks to operate heavy machinery. Of that was airplanes. So unless he was able to graduate from West Point, which was their strategy, eventually they'll need black pilots, the United States. So that was his impetus for really going through the journey. Why he stayed was over time, he would always say to me, you know, the burden of some Americans is greater than others. Some people can celebrate today, but our people cannot. So I, Ben Davis Jr., have to, through performance, contribute to change the narrative so the next generation, which is my dad and me, would be able to do things that he was unable to do. So he realized that his burden was more than others and accepted people that were out to get him as misguided, but never to stop the mission of integration of the United States military. I mean, that's, that's a level of perseverance and stick-to-itiveness and belief that I can only wish the Lord gives me at some point. Sorry, I couldn't do it. Sorry, <laughs> I look. I go back to West Point, and when we were going back there to work with them, to name the barracks uh, in 2017, the Davis Barracks, uh, in his honor, and we would have meetings. People would come to me and go, "I have no idea how you could graduate from here with no interaction." I mean, people go, "We're studying and study partners all day, every day, texting, sharing." For someone to do it in complete isolation, no one could understand it. What do you want readers to take away from this book? And the the question that I'm asking everybody from uh, from Doug Melville to Cicely Tyson to Jada Pinkett is, how did writing this book about your family change you, if at all? Writing this book about my family changed me from the simple fact of uh, the more you know, the more you grow. And if we don't know the information or the generational collateral or the sacrifices that the people in our direct family and indirect family made for us, then it is impossible for us to fulfill their vision or dream of us. So for me, I want readers to take out of this book inspiration that we're all one America and that the fight to be American is something that I feel we should be more apt to togetherness, not dividing. And then secondarily, I would like people to understand that you have to be the first step in the link. And maybe it is your responsibility, like it was Ben Jr.'s, to continue the story so the next generation can have more opportunities than we had for ourselves. The most important question, um, how can people find the book and when will it be available for purchase? And then how I'd give everybody your social media. Uh, my social media is at Doug Melville on Instagram, website, et cetera. You can find the book all over at your favorite bookstore, retailer. And uh, I was happy to say uh, the book came out uh, the Tuesday prior to Veterans Day. So it's available right now in honor of Veterans Day. Uh, it's been selling really well. People are really attached to the story. And I hope it can show some inspiration. If you have a vet in your family, if you are a veteran, a library, a child, a school, pick up a copy. It's about inspiration and opening your mind to find your purpose and unlock your curiosity for not only this unbelievable story that was hidden, yeah. but imagine if this story was hidden, 
how many other stories are there, but you have to go around and piece them together. And that's what I was saying, the gerrymandering of history. There's a drop here, a dot here, a piece here. It's all there. There are thousands of these stories. And if this one is one that's there, but we don't really know about it, that's what I want readers to say. You know, recalibrate your prism. Take your aperture, change the light a little bit, and maybe you can unlock something that will help you find your purpose or re-inspire you on the road. Look, Doc, appreciate you. I saw you with my brother Charlemagne the God on The Daily Show. You look good. You look good on thank TV, you. my brother. But thank <laughs> you for writing this book, Doing the Work, A Decade in the Making. Invisible Generals, Doug Melville. Thank you for joining the show. Thank you so much today for having me. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now.